could be a more fitting song for Mother's Day than one of praise. To all the mothers out there, I want to say God bless you. I'm so thankful for each one of you and your sacrifice. I've gone on record many times celebrating and saluting my own mother. Though she's been gone to glory for a long time, I still feel her presence each and every day. It's so wonderful to know that she gave us such a legacy of love and a legacy of relationship with the Lord. And it's our fervent prayer that all that we do exemplifies that she was a wonderful mother, exemplifies that she gave us knowledge that we should have a relationship with the Lord. It's our prayer that we're making her proud in doing that. Well, God bless you today. I'm so thankful that the Lord has given me yet another opportunity to stand before you, another opportunity to come and to preach his holy word. Days like this can be emotionally overwhelming to a lot of people. It can take you to a place that you might be able to control yourself in other days, but when everybody's around you and celebrating, cheering, talking about how good their mama is, and talking about their relationships, it just kind of pushes you to the edge. And so to all of you who are struggling because mama's not here anymore, we celebrate you as well. And in fact, in an open letter to pastors a few years ago about Mother's Day, a woman named Amy Young gave some advice on how to deal with these circumstances. She wrote about the wide continuum of mothering because mothering comes in different forms. And she wrote these and I think it bears us reading today. To those of you who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains and sometimes the smell of potty training, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with all the pokes and prods and tears and disappointments, we walk with you. Forgive us, please, when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this situation any harder than it is for you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, or spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mother this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, 
we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we're better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out that way, turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who are step-parent, we walk with you on this, comp on this complex path. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. And to those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we got some real warriors in our midst. We remember you. God bless you all. Happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you. The Lord has led me to a unique scripture this morning for us to read and to study for our Mother's Day message. Some might not go here to, to exemplify real mothers, but I think it's the appropriate sermon for us. And so our gospel, I mean, our message today comes from the Old Testament. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. There is a passage of scripture there, verses 16 through 27, that gives us 28, which gives us a lesson in real mothers, real mothers. So today, for just a little while, using that passage of scripture that I'm going to read for you, I want to talk about the subject of a model mother, a model a model mother. Verse 16 starts out, now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. And one of them said, pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house. And I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. And she put him by her breast, and she put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw it wasn't the son that I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is, not, is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first woman insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. And the king said, this one says my son is alive, and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, 
bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in half, and two, and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is the mother. What a strange story for us to use as a foundation for Mother's Day. Not only do we go to a strange place, and I'm sure while there may be difficulty with the place where the problem occurred, and I'm sure there may also be some difficulty with the people that we're discussing where the problem occurred. But I guarantee you at the end, there's no problem with the principle that comes out of this strange place and dealing with these strange people. This is a strange place for us to learn model motherhood, true love for a child. But it's strange like that because life is strange. For some reason, we think there's perfection everywhere. Can I step out on a limb here? Don't throw anything at your screen, but I want to tell you right now, there are no perfect mothers. There are no perfect mothers. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that for anybody to take exception and get mad at me. It's simply a statement of faith that no one is perfect. And some of us have walked around trying to deal and recover from the issues which came from our upbringing with our mother because she was thus and so. And the truth of the matter is, most mamas are just trying to do it the best way they can. And life sometimes throws circumstances that put them in strange situations. But love is a powerful force. And no matter the circumstances that you find yourself in in your life, when you're a mother, you learn to overcome those circumstances for the benefit of your children. It's true. The two mothers in this story were prostitutes. Now, let me say this. We can go through a theological discussion. I can have it with you about whether in reality they were actual prostitutes or whether, as the story seems to imply, they were innkeepers of the kind like Rahab we talked about last week. Either way, they ran a place where travelers came and stayed. And whether they made extra money as prostitutes, whether they ran a legitimate bed and breakfast, I can't tell you. But for purposes of this story, scripture indicates that they were prostitutes. Their babies were evidently conceived in a manner that was less than like the Bible indicated it ought to be. Now we can be the moral police here, or we can look at the foundational story that gives us the principle that we need to follow. The truth of the matter is there are plenty of babies who were born outside of the bonds of wedlock. If it were not so, I would not be preaching to you right now. And I can tell you right now that your beginning doesn't have anything to do with where the Lord wants you to go. 
And so when you stand there and you point the finger at them outside children, you might just be pointing at one of them outside children when you're talking about it. How I started has no indication of where I'm going. I want you to know that we need to stop being the moral police on folk and start supporting people where they are. Many people in here would have flunked on the show. There was, a, there was a TV show when I was growing up. It was called To Tell the Truth. And they would bring in people and sit them at the table and let them tell their story. All of them would tell the story. And you would have to determine who the one was who was actually telling the truth. And if this mother, who turns out to be the model mother, had come in and told a story that she was living in a brothel, that she was, in fact, a prostitute, but that she claimed the title of being a, mother, a model mother, I guarantee you no one would have picked her as being the one telling the truth. And I came to tell you this Mother's Day that this woman, living in less than desirable circumstances, this woman who had taken the ravages of life, this woman who was maybe living below her ability but still dealing with what God had allowed to happen in her life, this mother turns out to be the model mother. There's no perfect mother, like I said. And think about it. Some people have a mixture of mothers in their life. Can I, can I walk through scripture for a minute? I want you to understand that some folk have had a gumbo of motherhood in their life. Yeah, it's not as simple as just being born to a woman and that woman raises you. Well, think about it. It wasn't too long at the gate before Eve had trouble with both her children, lost one of them to murder, and then had to have another one under those circumstances. There's no doubt that that third child had some issues growing up. Not only that, we can move through Scripture, and as soon as we start hitting the patriarchs, of the, history, of, the, of the Bible, we start seeing a gumbo of motherhood. Watch this. Joseph. You know Joseph, the one who had so many dreams. Joseph was the son of Rachel and Jacob. The problem is Joseph's mother, Rachel, was Jacob's favorite wife. And when she tried to have her second ch child, Benjamin, she died in childbirth. And so while... Rachel gave, him, gave birth to him, it was Leah, her sister, her rival, the one who had usurped her for Jacob's heart, the one mama argued with all the time, I'm sure, the one that caused friction. It was Aunt Leah who had actually to raise him. Yeah, there's a gumbo in his lineage. Not only is there a gumbo in his lineage, look at Moses. Moses was given birth to by one woman. That woman couldn't raise him because Pharaoh was crazy. And he ended up being raised by the crazy Pharaoh's daughter. But as the Lord would have it, here comes mama and becomes his wet nurse. So he had two mamas to raise him, his birth mama and the one who adopted him. Motherhood is not limited to blood. Motherhood is defined, in my opinion, more by love than by blood. Some of us sitting right here may not have ever met our mother, may not have ever known her, and in fact, once we met her, we may not have wanted to know her anymore because of the person that she was. 
and yet the Lord gave us somebody who raised us. There's no such thing as a perfect mother. No such thing as somebody who can claim the mantle. And yet, here in this story, we find somebody who is a model, a model mother. Watch this. Let's peel it back, peel, peel back the layers. These two women come. The bottom line is there has been a tragedy. Both of them had babies. The babies were three days apart in age. They went to sleep one night in this brothel. And when they woke up, one woman's baby was dead. And the question was, who did the living baby belong to? One woman, the one who made it to Solomon. And can I tell you, there was a habit of Middle Eastern rulers like Solomon having to sit in judgment of their people. It was something that showed they were close to their people. And so you should know this. In order for these two women to get to Solomon, they had already passed lesser rulers who could not figure out what to do. You should also know this. Chapter 3 of 1 Kings is a pivotal chapter in Solomon's life because it's in that chapter that Solomon, in a dream, has a visitation from the Lord. And the Lord asked Solomon, ask what you will, and I will grant it unto you. And that's the chapter. If you'll look back to verse 9 of chapter 3, Solomon makes a request that the Lord finds favor in. He says, give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. He asked the Lord not for riches, not for fame, not even for great honor, but what he asked the Lord for is the ability to solve the hard problems of life, discernment, and be able to look into a person's eyes, listen to a person, and be able to tell who, in fact, is telling the truth. That's the backdrop to this story. Immediately after Solomon having this dream, in walks this scenario. In walks this situation that has stumped everybody else. And they're standing before Solomon, and Solomon has to determine who is the mother of this child. Now, can I tell you something? You should know this. While there's no perfect mother, mothers come in all circumstances, in all form, God has the answers to the problems that every mother has. Every mother knows who's dropped to their knees at night with no food in the refrigerator and woke up to find that a blessing had been made possible for them. Every mother knows because they sat down on the side of a bed of a baby who was sick with fever, and they had no medicine, no one to call. All they had was a, a prayer to blanket the baby in. And yet, when they woke up the next morning, the baby was cool, the fever had passed, and the sickness was moving on. They know that God has the answer to those problems. In this instance, it would be easy for somebody to think that you could make this decision. But can I tell you, this decision had far-reaching implications, not just for these mothers, but also for this new king who was sitting on the throne, who had just prayed for discernment. The question is, would the Lord give him what he asked for? I don't know if this baby died because the mother fell over on him while she was asleep. I don't know if it was one of the first cases in Bible of sudden infant death syndrome. 
I don't know the circumstances. All I know is there's a mother here who is sick with grief, so sick with grief that she's willing to stand up. One of them at least is lying about whose baby it is. It's clear that one baby under these circumstances can't belong to two mamas. Somebody's got to decide. I can also tell you this. One mama knew when she got up in the morning, this ain't my baby. He ain't got that sloping forehead like his daddy had. He don't look like the baby that I've been nursing for the last two days. My baby these last two days had lips like this. His nose was like this. His hair was kinky. This baby got straight hair. This ain't my baby. This ain't my baby. And so I got to go get some kind of recompense for this. And she found out that something had happened now. I don't know how she could know what happened while she was asleep. But the summation she had was, this woman got my baby. That's my baby over there. Yeah, if we took him to court right now, he looked just like it, Dad. I want him right now in front of the judge. And so he goes and takes him to Solomon. And Solomon comes up with this novel idea that instead of testing the evidence, he could have taken the baby and held the baby up, maybe compared the look of the baby to the mother's look. Can I tell you, some babies don't look nothing like their mamas. Can, can, can I tell you, they don't look nothing like their baby, when they, like their mama when they're grown. They don't look nothing like the baby. They, in fact, they, don't, they only look like the daddy. And since daddy was nowhere around, there was no one to compare the baby to. Can I also tell you that these babies were just a few days old. And my wife used to say all babies look like squirrels when they're newborn. You can't hardly tell one from another. Telling the truth. Can't hardly tell one from another. Some of them have the blessing of coming out and they look like little dolls. Some of them don't. <laughs> Come out <laughs> looking that way. And this baby, yeah, yeah. Some of them have to grow into their noses. Some of them have to grow into their forehead and grow into their lips. At any rate, Solomon couldn't take the evidence and hold it next to the mother and make that determination. That would have been easy. And so instead of appealing to their greater sense of right, because clearly one of these mothers was so stricken with grief, so sickened with depression, that she didn't have right in her at this point. She'd rather lie. And we see in a moment how far she's willing to take that lie. When Solomon said, I'll use something you're familiar with. Many of you may not be aware that there was a legal tradition in, ancient, in the ancient Near East that stipulated that if a judge could not determine who owned a disputed piece of property, that that judge would take the property and divide it between the two contestants. Yeah. And so this was something that all of those who were sitting at court that day would have understood. All of them who were sitting around as Solomon is giving judgment would have understood the principle of divide or division for property. It would not have been something that they were confused about. 
And so for Solomon, under these circumstances, to take this known principle and apply it to this unusual situation is a masterful stroke. It is, in fact, evidence of the wisdom that God has given him that he says, give me the baby and give me a sword. Now cut the baby in half. Shocking. But what mama would allow anything to happen to their children? What real mama would allow her baby to be hurt? That's the mamas around here that will lay you clean if you talk to their children bad. Not only will they lay you out, they'll make sure you know you better never talk to them or their children in that way again. And here is a mother who says, cut the baby in half. If I can't have him, no one will have him. It doesn't take a moment for Solomon to realize who the real mother is because the model mother steps up and does what a model mother does. When you love a child, you got enough in you never to want any harm to come to that child. I've seen it when they're infants. I've seen it when they're toddlers. I've seen it when they're teenagers. They never want a paper cut to come on the baby. They'll do anything they can to prevent this child from being hurt. And God has an answer to these problems and there's nothing like a mother's love. A mother's love will show up. Mother's love will show up and make sure you got every single thing you need before you need it. I saw it over and over on these videos. We just watched of what mama means to me a few moments ago. What I saw was love pouring over into folks' lives. And all they did was come back and regurgitate. Sometimes love takes the form of you getting up in the morning and going shopping for something I don't need but I want. Maybe that's love. Sometimes it's love for you just to spend time with me. Sometimes it's love for you to come to my house and help me take care of my newborn baby. Sometimes it's love for you to make me a hot dog when I'm exhausted and can't do it myself. Sometimes it's love when you make sure that I got $5 so I can buy a change of shoes. Sometimes it's love when you just cook dinner for me and make sure it's there for me. Sometimes it's love when you take your last $15 when your, your son comes to you at the last minute before a field trip and says, Mama, I gotta have some money. We're going on a field trip today. And you know it's your last $15 and you don't have hardly any gas in the car. And yet, with the pain, look, you reach in your pocket and you give that child that $15. How do I know that? Because I saw the pain in my mama's eyes when I, a child, at the last minute had to tell her, I need some money for this field trip, mama. And mama didn't have no money to give me, and yet, I went on that field trip that day. Love takes many different forms. Mother's love is unlike any force in the universe. Can I tell you this? Write this down. You have to be willing to give up something to be a good mama. You can't be selfish and be a good mama. This, F, this uh, scenario in scripture is evidence that if she was selfish, she would have let Solomon do whatever he wanted to do with the baby. And Solomon wouldn't have the baby harmed and so he took the baby and gave him to the rightful mother. And this incident is used by God to show us that he'd given Solomon the wisdom that Solomon had just prayed for. Not only did it tell Solomon 
that he had this wisdom. But when Solomon solved this riddle, when Solomon solved this problem, the whole world knew that he had been imbued with sense that other folk didn't have. Can I tell you, personal sacrifice is a pivotal part of being a mama. Personal sacrifice. From the moment your baby is born, you're giving up sleep. You're giving of your body. You're giving up all of you in order for this person to get the best start in life. It doesn't take long for you to observe a mother to realize they either have it or don't have it. But let me give you another perspective on that. Some people don't come into their best mothering the first time around. There are some grandmothers who are excellent grandmothers who were not good mothers. Not good mothers. They, they were too young and too immature and too selfish and didn't do the things that they needed to do. And so, thank God they had a mama who was there to help them out. But by the time they become a grandmama themselves, they turn the corner, and now instead of being a model mama, they can be model grandmamas. Maybe they're trying to make up for what they didn't do the first time. Maybe God has blessed them enough to realize the mistakes they made. Stop pointing the finger at people who are simply trying to live. Everybody doesn't come into it at the same time. There are some folk. There are some folk who maybe weren't given a biological child. And maybe the reason they weren't given a biological child is because God knew their life circumstances and knew they wouldn't have their own children to raise, but they would have to raise their ch sister's children. They would have to raise their friend's children. And so God gave them the capacity so that when time came, they'd be ready to fulfill the duty of being a mother. There are some people who raise other folks' children they've never met, never, ever met. And God has given them capacity to do that. Our mothers fed us, and they nourished us, and they protected us with their own bodies and with everything they had before we even saw the light of day. Can I tell you something about this mama in the Bible? While she is a model, she's not unique. There are mamas like this running around in our community every day. While she's an example of ultimate sacrifice, before I let you harm one hair on my baby, I'll see him raised by somebody else. That happens over and over again. I cheer, celebrate the courage of a mother who has the ability to allow someone else to raise the child she loves instead of allowing that child to come to harm. It happens all the time. Now, some of you might stand here in question because of the circumstances of a child. Some of you think that because a child is raised on a certain side of town, in a certain community, they're lesser children. Can I tell you there are no lesser children in our communities? The circumstances of a child's upbringing doesn't have anything to do with who that child is. Poverty is not an indicator of the projection of what God wants that child to be. There are plenty of folk who didn't have anything growing up, and God blessed them later on to have everything they wanted. There are plenty of folk whose mama just couldn't take care of them like she wanted to. But when their children grew up, the children take care of the mama like she needs to be. God has a way of equalizing things. And can I tell you this? Money doesn't mean you're a good parent. 
Money doesn't mean you're a good mother. You may have all the wealth in the world and no love in your heart. So the fact that these are prostitutes doesn't mean that they could not have the capacity to be good parents. Money can hide a multitude of problems. Love is the imperative and love is the principle that's at work here. This kind of love shouldn't go unnoticed or appreciated, unappreciated no matter where it is. There's an example of a story in scripture, I mean in history, that I want to use in closing as we get out of here today. It's a sad story, but it's one that nails to me the principle of sacrifice to the fact that there is no sacrifice too great for a real mother. It happened during World War II. There's a man named Solomon Rosenberg. And Solomon and his wife, their two sons, and his mother and father were arrested. And they were placed in a Nazi concentration camp. It was a labor camp. And by labor, I mean that every day they had to get up and they had to work. The rules were simple in the camp. As long as you can do your work, we'll let you live. When you become too weak to do your work, then you're going to be exterminated. Rosenberg, Solomon Rosenberg, watched his mother and his father be marched off to their deaths because they weren't strong enough to keep up with the work. And he knew without a doubt that the next one in the family to be executed was going to be his young son, David, because David was always a frail child. So every evening, Rosenberg, Solomon Rosenberg had the same practice. When he got back to the barracks where they slept, he would search the faces of the crowd each day for his family. And when he found them, they would get together and huddle and thank God for giving them one more day. One day, Solomon Rosenberg came back from the, the work. He looked around the crowd and he didn't see those familiar faces. But after searching for what seemed like an eternity, he finally found, finally found his oldest son crouched in a corner and crying. And Solomon went to his son, Joshua, and he said, Joshua, tell me it's not true. And Joshua turned to him and said, it's true, Daddy. It's true, Papa. Today, David wasn't strong enough to do his work, so they came for him. And Solomon looked at David and said, but where's your mother? And David said, Papa, when they came for David, he was afraid, and he started crying. And Mama said to him, don't worry, Joshua. It's going to be okay. And she grabbed his hand, and she walked with him. And they were executed. That's a mother's love. Loved him so much that she refused to allow him to die alone. Now, this is a true story. There are countless mothers throughout our history who have died with their children, died for their children, paid the ultimate sacrifice. And we thank God for their sacrifice. But to make the sacrifice that they made even more meaningful, we have one who sacrificed his life for us. He didn't sacrifice a daughter 
he sacrificed a son. He allowed a son to come and die for us, to die a death for us that his son didn't earn, but that he required in, other for us, in order for us to have eternal life with him. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about our Lord, the Lord who came and died for us. But even on this Mother's Day, to make what's been taught to us by our mothers even more meaningful, those who knew enough to teach us about Jesus Christ gave us a gift that means we'll never ever have to be away from our mothers for the rest of our lives if we know the Lord. Yeah, they might leave us on this side of heaven, but if we know Jesus and know him as our Savior, we'll see mama again. It's the hope I live with every day. That one day, not only am I going to see Jesus again, I'll also get a chance to see Doris again. It's the hope I live with. Mama couldn't leave me a whole lot on this side, but she left me a spiritual legacy. She left me a map on how to get back to where she's going to be. And I'm following that map as closely as I can. All she said was, Donnell, follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, he'll lead you not only back to his house, but he'll lead you back to where I am. I came to tell you today, if you are a godly mother, leave a map for your children to follow you. If you anticipate eternity in heaven, make sure your children know the way as well. Tell them to follow Jesus. Tell them to follow him all the way through their lives so that one day they too can meet up with you in heaven. God bless you today. I'm so thankful for how you've been with us today. I'm so thankful for all these mothers. I've been blessed today to look out in this congregation and see the eyes of a mama I haven't seen in a while. And I'm so grateful that she came and celebrated with us today. I'm looking forward to the day that I can celebrate with you too, but not just yet. Not until the data says it's okay for us to come back and celebrate. Not just because somebody set a date. I want somebody to tell me it's safe for us to get together in this sanctuary and worship together again. It's coming soon. I don't anticipate us being back here until sometime in June, if they say so. But God bless you today. I'm so thankful for you, and I'm looking forward to the time when we can fellowship in the place that's the friendliest church, from the parking lot to the pulpit. God bless you.